we're talking about the power of gentle persuasion. Uh, gentle persuasion is the way to change the heart. Changing somebody's heart, changing somebody's heart involves divine and human responsibility. We've been looking at this verse that has kind of been uh, a theme verse. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It talks about in this verse, it talks about both divine and human responsibility. With respect to divine responsibility, it says that God's responsibility is to grant repentance. Repentance is a change in belief leading to a change in behavior. And what God does, he helps us understand something that is so important that when we understand it, it allows us to do the things that he wants us to do. That's what repentance is, and that's what God's part is. But there is something that humans do to be able to cooperate with God to bring about repentance. And the human responsibility is to gently instruct Paul talks about don't quarrel because you can't bully somebody into changing their heart. You can get them to change their vote, but you can't get them to change their beliefs. And what God is interested in is not just when our thinking changes, but our deep thinking changes, our heart changes, our thoughts and attitudes change. So Paul tells Timothy, don't quarrel and don't be resentful. You have to have a thick skin because it takes time for this kind of change to occur. It won't happen quickly. People will do what you don't want them to do, and you'll have to hang in with people long enough in order for the deep change. You can catalyze surface change pretty quickly, perhaps. But deep change is going to be something that's going to take time, and those who represent then have to kind of resist resentment. And it's it says, he says, do be kind and do teach. Last week, we saw how Paul used gentle instruction to persuade unbelievers. This week, we're going to see Paul, listen to Paul, as he is um, trying to persuade believers. We'll spend some time this morning in the shortest of Paul's letters, uh, the book of Philemon, just one chapter way at the end of the Bible. And let's here's what it says. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Paul writes this letter to a good friend named Philemon. He greets Philemon's wife, Aphia, and his son, Archippus. Paul converted Philemon to Christ when he was in Ephesus for about a year and a half, I believe. So Philemon lived about at this time, he lives about 120 miles away, but at that time he was in Ephesus, he saw Paul, and Paul converted him to faith in Christ, and then Paul and Philemon became very close, very good friends. Um, he was a wealthy Christian merchant. He was wealthy enough to be able to have a home in his house where a church could meet. So he probably had a, a, a room, maybe 
a half to three quarters the size of this room in which anywhere between 35 and 50 people could gather. And that's what the church looked like in Paul's day. It wasn't buildings. People would open up their homes, people who had enough space, and that's where the church would meet. Um, he had slaves as well. Being a wealthy merchant, he had the funds, the wherewithal, to be able to own slaves. And what happened, one of these slaves named Onesimus runs away. And we don't know why he ran away, uh, but there seems to be some financial restitution that he needs. So what probably happened, he was sick enough of being there. He stole some money from Philemon and took off. At any rate, we don't know why he ran into Paul. Paul was in prison, probably in Rome at the time. And he and Onesimus meet. We don't know why. Uh, perhaps Onesimus knew of Paul's relationship with Philemon. Maybe he wanted to seek him out. At any rate, what happened is that Onesimus and Paul met. And Paul had the chance to talk about Christ, and Onesimus became a Christian, not only just a Christian, but somebody who was very important to Paul. They struck up and had a, developed a very close relationship. Um, and what Onesimus decided to do is to head back to where he ran away from. And Paul gives Onesimus this letter, the letter to Philemon. And now we have that letter recorded in the Bible. But before we talk about what Paul wanted Philemon to do, let's talk a little bit about slavery because we hear about the institution of slavery and it, it might be a little bit confusing. Um, the Roman world lived with slavery. The way it worked, when the Roman army advanced and conquered peoples, they took prisoners of war. And these prisoners of war were then auctioned off, given to people as slaves. You could pay for them, or if you funded the military as a rested, as a kind of investment, what the Roman army would do is they would grant slaves to those who funded the army. At any rate, um, there were, they say that there probably was between 1.2 and 1.3 million uh, people living in Rome, and they're saying there might be as much as a third, about 400,000 slaves who lived there. Um, in the Roman law, in the Roman world, treatment of slaves varied considerably. Slaves didn't have any rights, so a master could treat a slave however he wanted to treat him. And it was, he could punish and torture and kill, and the government couldn't do anything about it. And that happened sometime. On the other hand, there were those who treated slaves well. Um, slaves, especially as Rome conquered not just barbarians, but more cultured people so that the slaves that they brought back were sometimes well-educated and were capable of really being helpful to a family. And so they then were, they almost became part of the family. They were given responsibility. Sometimes they could marry. They were definitely allowed to worship and to, and to worship God as they wanted to. Um, valued slaves were loved and protected. Um, practically, slaves were an investment and few could afford to abuse them. It's a little bit difficult when we think about it. Why does Paul allow something like slavery to exist? He ends up sending this letter and he doesn't ask Philemon to free Onesimus from being a slave. What he does is he says, accept him back. Why didn't he do so? 
It seemed that at the time, Paul was very involved in allowing the gospel to put down roots in the Roman Empire. At the time, there was discrimination based on sex, class, and race. And what Paul was very interested in and what he had to focus on is helping people to understand that you don't have to be a Jew in order to be one of God's people. And so he had to make a very clear case about racial discrimination is not the way God works. In fact, he wrote that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So God doesn't discriminate on the base of race, class, and gender. At the time, though, Paul couldn't, he couldn't afford to advocate for the abolition of slavery because the gospel would never have put, would never have gotten to put a root down. It was part of society. So although Paul probably didn't agree with it, he didn't fight it, and he didn't fight gender discrimination either for the same reason. Um, Paul then looked beyond, and Jesus did the same thing. I think Paul probably looked around and saw some things that he objected to, things that he wouldn't have allowed if it were up to him, like slavery. Um, but like Jesus, what Jesus understood, Jesus didn't, he didn't attack a lot of social things that he was aware of. Sometimes slaves were brutally mistreated. And I think Jesus would have been aware of that. But he doesn't address that issue and I think what Jesus felt is this. He saw the things that were happening in the world. And for Jesus, what he believed is that if he said what the Father wanted him to say, to whom the Father wanted him to say it, that God would cause all things to be able to work out as they should. Jesus trusted that God had a good plan. He was a good God. And in the end, he would create something that would be equitable and good. And Jesus understood that his part in that was to say what God wanted him to say, to whom God wanted him to say it. So Jesus didn't get the ability to talk in the Roman Empire. He stayed localized in Israel. But because he said what he wanted him to say, then we have a worldwide movement at this point. That's what Paul trusted as well. Paul sends this letter to Philemon and encourages him to forgive Onesimus. Look what it says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. That literally means letting your faith be active. It's not necessarily talking about evangelism. What Paul is saying, I pray that your faith would become active, that you believe things. So I'm praying that you will evidence the faith that exists within you and evidence that in the way that you treat Onesimus. He goes on, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he goes on and says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Paul appeals to Philemon to forgive his runaway slave 
Onesimus, Paul understands that Philemon has the legal right to throw the book at Onesimus. He probably stole money, and he has the right to punish him. In fact, he probably is being um, lobbied to do so, because the way he treats this runaway slave is going to have repercussions in the vicinity, in the, in the place where he lives. If he lets Onesimus go unpunished, then that could send a signal to other homes that slaves can get away and get away with it. So Onesimus probably is getting, Philemon is getting a lot of heat to, to treat Onesimus as he should. And Paul's going to write to to counter that and to, to ask Philemon to treat him gently. Um, Paul could have, as it says um, in verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Uh, Paul could have ordered Philemon to do what he wants him to do. And what he does, though, he chooses to treat Philemon gently and to treat the situation gently. Um, he leads with love. The deal is, it seems, that Paul had a relationship with Onesimus, and he had a relationship with Philemon. The reason that Paul could lead with love is because he had a relationship. If you don't have a relationship with somebody... Sometimes you have to compel them on the basis of what they should do, what they ought to do. But when you know somebody, when you have a deep relationship with somebody, you don't need to appeal to them on the basis of love, what you should do. You can reason with them. Love gives a opportunity to be able to move towards someone gently. And that's what Paul does with Philemon. He's going to not command. And the reason but this letter works is because Philemon knows that Paul loves him. If he doesn't know that, this letter falls on its face because it's all about appealing to the relationship that they had. It's interesting, isn't it? When we think of general instruction, we think of how to say something in a way that it could win an argument. Paul is not winning an argument here. What he did, he built a relationship so that he could appeal to someone, not as a lawyer, not in a courtroom, but in a family room, as family. And that seems to be the strength. What we, we don't know what happened here, but the fact that Philemon's, this letter is in the Bible, it would make sense that Philemon ends up doing what Paul asks him to do. And he treats Onesimus well. And that this becomes an instance where the gospel the reconciliation that exists this way ends up becoming a reconciliation this way. It's not just connecting with God, it's connecting with others. That's the challenge with Christianity, isn't it? We can have a relationship this way, but it's challenging to leverage this belief to have a relationship this way. Sometimes when there's individuals who don't believe what we believe, it's very frustrating. We can't have a relationship with all of them but with the ones that we can have a relationship with. The ability to have a loving relationship allows for a kind of persuasion that is, well, gentle. Without a relationship, there's no way to gently instruct. It's very difficult to gently instruct somebody, but Paul is able to do what he does 
on the basis of the relationship. And we see the same thing with Jesus. Um, it says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I want you to look at that. Jesus is saying, if you, do, if, you, if you obey my commands, you remain in my love. If they agree to remain and to do what Christ asks them to do, why would they do that? Because they want to remain in his love. Would you agree? I, why am I not remaining in that chair? There's a chair right there. Why am I not remaining in it? Because I'm not sitting in it. Would you agree that the reason this statement from Jesus makes sense, the reason it has power, is because they believed that he loved them. And he, they wanted to stay in his love. And that was the power of this promise, and it's the power of Philemon's letter. If there was no relationship, these things would fall flat. Why am I saying this? There's a lot of reasons to obey God. And one of the more difficult one is because of love. Um, all of us have different ideas of God. We've talked about this before, but it seems that one of the prayers that would be wise to pray is, God, help me to understand your love for me. That is the basis for obedience in the Bible. That's how Paul leads. Paul leads by love. He, he sent Onesimus to Paul, even though he was like sending his own heart. Look what he says. Uh, I am sending him who was my very heart back to you. Do you get the sense here? This is all about relationship. Paul is saying to Philemon, I'm refreshed by you. We have a relationship. He's talking about Onesimus. Onesimus, I really wish that I could keep him. Look what he says. Um, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want you to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Paul leads with love, and he doesn't lead with law. He doesn't fog Philemon. You know, we talk about when you fog somebody, you try to get them to do something based on FOG, fear, obligation, guilt. Paul could have used fog to deal with Philemon, but he didn't because that is not a way to change somebody's heart. You can, use, you can use fear or obligation or guilt to get somebody to do something. The one thing you can't do with that, you can't change their heart. You can change their mind, you can change their behavior. And Paul doesn't use fog, fear, obligation, and guilt to change uh, Philemon. In fact, God doesn't use it either. Um, Paul experienced being prodded and goaded to do something. When he was a Pharisee and a Roman, he was goaded to do the right thing. And he understood what it was like for people to use fear, obligation, and guilt to get him to do what they wanted him to do. And what Paul came to understand when he was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then he answered the question, it's because it's hard to kick against the goads. 
Paul had been goaded to do things and he assumed that that's how God did things. But then Jesus comes to him and says, ostensibly, look, ma, no goads. He, God doesn't work that way. Um, it says in 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. It's very important. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. What this seems to indicate is that love cannot be mandated. Love cannot be legislated. That's what God wants of us. He wants us to love people. It is not possible to command somebody to love or else and have that person love deeply. It's not possible. That's what it says here. There is no fear in love. Sometimes people talk about the fear of punishment. If you take that away, there'll be no way for people to obey because people need the fear of punishment in order to obey God. The problem is the obedience that God requires of us is love. And love cannot be legislated. It can't be. You can maybe do the outside. We can do the outside, but not with the right motives. And that's what God requires. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. We deal with fear and maybe some level of fear of God. And what to do about that is become a student of his love. Perfect love drives out fear. If your fear is high and your love is low, you could try to press down the fear. That's not going to work. Once you do, and we, what we, makes better sense is focus on his love. And here's what's going to happen. As your awareness of his love becomes deeper, perfect love drives out fear. Fear doesn't leave easily. Somebody, as we are afraid of God, and all of us deal with a measure of fear, might be aware of it or not, the thing to do about that is to become a student of his love. Fearing God's judgment means that we don't know his love well enough. Um, the love that leads to doing the right thing cannot be mandated. You have a discussion about that because God doesn't want obedience that is out of fear and obligation and guilt. It's not deep enough. And that's why Paul appeals to Onesimus as he did. Look what he says. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong, or owes you anything, charge it to me. So Paul appeals to Philemon, invite him back. If he owes you anything, I'll pay it. Um, he goes on and says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. There's a little bit of a thing here. He says, I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. There's a little bit of a dig there. But you know what? He can, he can do this, though, because... Um, because Philemon knew Paul loved him. 
This could have been a dig if there wasn't a relationship, but there was a relationship, and that's why it's real. Um, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Um, at this point, Paul's thinking that he's going to get out of prison sometime and be able to make a trip. And what he wants to do, he really wants to see Philemon again. Not to check up on Onesimus, but because he loved him and he was refreshed by him. We're going to close by, there's a couple of things when we think about what do we need to do in order to be more obedient to God. A couple of things that are offered is accountability and there's encouragement. What accountability is, is when somebody kind of evaluates you and gets you to do something by pointing out what you are and are not doing. Are you doing that thing you said and are you not? And accountability can be okay depending on the relationship. Safer to do encouragement. What encouragement is, where accountability is, are you doing the right thing? What encouragement is, it's coming alongside a person and encouraging, helping, influencing them to do the thing best for them. When you encourage somebody, you walk alongside them. When you hold somebody accountable, you stand in front of them. Now, there are some accountability groups that are very love-based. Okay, that might be okay, but there's a lot that aren't. That's why I think it makes more sense, and it seems like what Paul does here, he doesn't use accountability with Philemon. He uses encouragement. And because encouragement is relational, so how do we end this? Understand that the reason why God sent his son is so that you could know God does love. And he sends his son so that your relationship with the Father would be based in love and not based in law. That we would do what he wants us to do because we believe in him and we believe that he has our best interests in mind. That's the way, that's what God wants. That's encouragement based. There's those who believe that God kind of holds himself back and, and he holds people accountable and he, and it's in that, uh, that can promote an obedience, but it can't change your heart. And gentle instruction can change your heart. That's why God deals with you gently. And he does. He deals with you gently. That thing that you don't like that you do, you know, that, that problem in your life, you know, we all have them. It is, the new covenant says, God does, is merciful to your unrighteousnesses. And sometimes that feels like a cop-out. There's no way to change your heart except through love and encouragement. So stay with encouragement and love and, and because that's the way to change your heart, because gentle persuasion works. Let me stand for closing prayer. God, thanks for this letter and for the fact that it, it ends up being preserved so that we can read about how influence happened in the first century, 2,000 years ago, with somebody that you called to represent you. And we see this letter and, we, and it's full of relationship. It's about love and 
refreshment and confidence and it's positive and it's very encouraging. And that's the kind of, this is a model for spiritual influence. Thank you that that's the model that you would extend to us and understand that's how you relate to us and that's how you would have us reflect you to others. Um, Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.